2 Timothy chapter 2. I just said chapter 1, didn't I? See, I've reached that age where you think one thing and another thing comes out. (laughs) 2 Timothy chapter 2, we'll be reading in verse 1. I know, it's, some of us grow older faster than others. Um, (laughs) 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. The Apostle Paul wrote the second epistle to Timothy to give Timothy final instructions and final encouragement. At the time the Apostle Paul is writing this book, letter as it were, he is sitting in prison. He is sitting in prison. He is facing a death penalty. He is facing execution. Now, this is not new territory for Paul. He had been in prison many times before. He had faced the possibility of of execution several times before. God had delivered him many times before. You think back to the jail in Philippi when the earthquake struck at midnight and the chains were broken and and the doors were open, yet the apostle Paul did not take the opportunity to escape, neither did anyone else, and that led to the salvation of the Philippian jailer. You think of the Apostle Paul appealing his case before Caesar. Caesar could have ordered him to be executed. But we understand through through history and through uh, things that have been passed down through the generations that the Apostle Paul was set free and was able to go back and revisit his uh, his churches that he had been able to to lead and and to evangelize. We find that the Apostle Paul could have died in Jerusalem. Uh, but he was delivered from that. The Lord had a history of delivering the Apostle Paul from death, of delivering the Apostle Paul from execution. And the Apostle Paul's thoughts on that was, listen, whether it's you know to live as Christ and to die as gain, that I'm in, I'm in a straight betwixt the two. I love the way the King James says that. I'm in a straight betwixt the two. We don't say betwixt anymore, do we? Uh, betwixt the two. I mean, he, he, I can't decide which is better. Because to die means to go to the Lord. To die means to have my faith validated, to have that which I have believed in to become tangible, to be able to see it. Yet, to stay here, I get to be with you guys. It's needful for you. I can help you. I can fellowship with you. And that's what he told the Philippians in the book of Philippians. That regardless of what happens, Paul is going to come out on top. See, the Apostle Paul understood that life is more than what we experience right now. There is an eternal spiritual component to it. 
And the Apostle Paul also understood that at this point in time, he had accomplished the mission God set him out to do. He says in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy, he says, I have run the race, I have finished the course, and henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but also unto all those who loved his appearing. And so the Apostle Paul knows that he's not going to be delivered this time. And it's not because he's really in trouble this time. It's because he understands and he understood the trajectory of his life and he knew what phase he was in. It was time for him to go home. And there is a certain peace in knowing that you run your race, in knowing that it's almost time to go home. But that peace is only there if you have, in fact, run your race. This book, as well as every other study we do here at Life Point Baptist Church, is designed to help you run your race. The Apostle Paul has set the stage in chapter 1. He set the stage for explaining to Timothy what is important in the attitude and the faith that Timothy must have. And so he transitions in chapter 2 to calling Timothy to boldness and empowerment in the gospel. He tells Timothy to be strengthened in the gospel, to be strengthened in the Christ that is in the, in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He tells Timothy to endure what he must endure for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the Lord. And he reminds Timothy of the reward that he has waiting for him in heaven. The Apostle Paul mentions this. The Apostle Paul mentions that he's ready to be offered up, that Paul is ready to be offered up. The Apostle Paul mentions that he has run his course, that he has finished his race, that he has accomplished what God has wanted him to accomplish, and that crown of righteousness is waiting for him. And in doing that, he's not, oh, it is time for me to go. But he's reminding Timothy that that same crown of righteousness is waiting for Timothy. That's why he says, not to me only. He's not saying, oh, Timothy, I have run my race. I have finished my course. I've done what God wants me to do, and I'm about to get my golden crown. Which, if Brother Jimmy were here, he'd tell us it wasn't a golden crown, but it was a temporary, you know, the, the one that they'd give the runners in the Olympics back then. This little, you, you've seen the movies about Rome where they had this little vine thing. It was one of those things. But the Apostle Paul says, but this isn't just going to be my prize. It's for all those that love his appearing. Timothy, this is going to be your prize too. And from this, and from this passage, we learn that we are to be strong in the gospel, to be strengthened in the grace that Christ Jesus has made available to us. We learn that we are to endure, that we are, to call, we are called to endure, and we're going to learn what that means. And then we need to remember the blessings God has given us. First of all, be strong in the gospel. Verse 1 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened. You look at the Greek word. I'm not going to try to say it. I'm not going to try to spell it. But it means to be empowered. It means to be emboldened. It means to have confidence in. To understand, and to do this, you've got to understand the grace that has been given to you. Because if you don't understand the grace that's been given to you, and you don't understand this concept, you're not going to find much confidence in it. Understand the grace that has been given to you. God loves you. Y'all know that? God loves you. I mean, that's, that's why he created you. 
He told Jeremiah that before I formed you in the womb, I knew who you were. God loved you before you ever were. If you can imagine that. He favors you. He favors you. He sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for you. If that's not love and favor, I don't know what is. And, the, and God told Jeremiah, he said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you and I loved you and I ordained you a prophet. What had Jeremiah done to earn that love and that favor? He hadn't even been born yet. Hadn't even been conceived yet. He didn't do anything for it. He didn't do anything to earn it. That love and favor that God has upon you is not conditioned upon anything you have done. And that means that you don't have to do anything in order to keep it. No. You know, sometimes people do good things in life, and people honor that. And then they coast on those prior accomplishments for a while. But after a while, they can no longer coast on those prior accomplishments. Mm -hmm. Troy Aikman took the Cowboys to three Super Bowl victories. Won three Super Bowls with the Dallas Cowboys. Went to four, I think. I think they lost one to Pittsburgh. Or, or, I, I don't remember. But, and he had those accomplishments. And when Troy Aikman won those Super Bowls with the Dallas Cowboys, the city of Dallas loved him. And after he, the Super Bowls quit coming, they still loved Troy Aikman for a while. But then it got to a point where this guy needs to get out of the way so we can get our next franchise quarterback. And you see that in professional sports. He coasted for a while, but then ultimately he lost the grace and favor of the city of Dallas. And after the past 20 years, the city of Dallas wants him back. Um, but sometimes that happens. But with God, you didn't do this amazing thing that drew his grace and his love and his favor toward you. It's something he had for you without condition. And therefore, it's not something you have to work to keep. Terry Bradshaw said that he became depressed after he won a Super Bowl in Pittsburgh because he knew if he didn't do it again the next year, they would run him out of town. But you don't have to worry about God running you out of town. His grace and love for you is unconditional. And let that unconditional grace and that unconditional love give you the boldness you need to do what God has called you to do. There is no reason for a Christian to fear. Now, sometimes we still do, and that's understandable. That's human. But how often do we hear the scriptures tell us to fear not? Amen. To fear not. What do we have to fear? Knowing God's love and grace toward us and knowing that there's nothing that can hurt us, what is there to fear? Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? If God be for us, who can be against us? There's no reason for the Christian to fear. Because we know that life is more than what goes on here. Mm -hmm. And so the, the regardless of what goes on here, we know that God has us and that we've got eternity. Now we know that God works through us in this life and he protects us in this life and he provides for us in this life. And therefore we can trust God with the things in life that we cannot control. But suppose the worst thing happens. We transition from this life into the next. We know that we're okay. We'll be in God's presence. We'll be more than okay. We'll be blessed. You cannot hurt a child of God. You may only take his body. That's the worst thing you can do. And that is actually a prophet. P-R-O-F-I-T. For the child of God. 
There's nothing that can hurt us. There is nothing to fear. Verse 2, Paul says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Not only are we to be strong in the gospel, but we are to teach others the gospel. And not just in the way of evangelism, not just in the way of knocking on doors and, and telling people how to be saved and leading them to the Lord. And we ought to do those things. I'm not preaching against those things. But we are also to teach each other and to teach others the gospel who will then in turn be able to teach others the gospel. In other words, I'm supposed to disciple you and you're supposed to disciple others. I'm supposed to teach people within the church the gospel in a way that people in the church can explain it to others not just in a sense of here's how to be saved but to be able to explain the gospel and fully what jesus did so that you can teach the gospel entrust the gospel to faithful men or faithful people who are able to teach others also the Apostle Paul told Timothy, he said, My child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened. Be bold. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Do not feel like you are a worn-out record on this issue. Do not feel like you are a one-trick pony. There have been many buzzwords that have been worn out over the past few decades in Christianity. Buzzwords, community. This church is about community. We want a community of believers. We want community, community, community. I'm not, and I'm not criticizing community. But we, had, we have had no problem over the decades wearing out the word community. Here's one that Ed Stetzer invented. Missional, missional, missional. We're on mission. We're about the mission. We're about the mission. That's wonderful. Community's good. Missions is good. Being missional is good. All of this is good. But if we can go back to the well on community, we can go back to the world, word, word, well, we can go back to the well on missions and missional, then there ought to be no limit to how many times we'll go back to the well on gospel. Because without the gospel, the community has no purpose. And without the gospel, there is no mission. Amen. It's time that the gospel became our buzzword. That's, it's time the gospel became what defines us. We're no longer defined by our worship style. We're no longer going to be defined by our affiliations and our associations. We're no longer going to be defined by which translation of the Bible we use. We're no longer going to be defined by whether we are independent, fundamental, progressive, conservative. That's not what's going to define us. What's going to define us is our centeredness and our centeredness on the gospel and our commitment to the gospel. That is what's going to define us. And how can we know that we've hit the target? 1 Timothy 1.5, the aim of our charge is love that flows from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. Yes. We are called to be strong in the grace in which we have been given in Christ Jesus, to be strong in the gospel. Secondly, we are called to endure. Verses 3 and 4 say, Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. To share in the suffering. Notice that. Share in the suffering. This is something we all go through. This is a common theme in Christianity. This is a common part of the Christian life. 
And that suffering marks who we are. Being devoted to the gospel will bring suffering. It historically has, and it will. It's going to happen. Jesus Christ suffered to complete the gospel. He was rejected. He was mocked. He was tortured. He was killed. He was numbered among the transgressors. They killed him in the worst possible way they could. Brother Jim mentioned this morning the verse that says, Cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. It was not a coincidence that the Pharisees requested that the Roman government crucify Jesus. Not only was it the most painful way that the Romans knew how to kill people back then, but the fact that he was hanging on the tree was a special curse. The Pharisees wanted to make sure that Jesus died in the most degrading, humiliating, and the most cursed way to remove any credibility that he may have in the society. And they wound up fulfilling prophecy. Amen. But he suffered. Jesus said that the servant is not above his master. If Jesus was to suffer for the gospel, what makes us think that we shouldn't? What makes us special? All the apostles suffered for the sake of the gospel. Paul here in this letter is about to be executed for it. So when you find yourself suffering for the gospel, you find yourself in good company. The comparison being made here is of a soldier. Soldiers suffer for their countries. Brian was telling me about his brothers going through uh, the boot camp for the Navy SEALs. And I think this thing goes on for days without sleep. You're running along the beach carrying a boat over your head. And it's, it's heavy and it wears you out. And, and you're hurting and, and, it's, and it's, it's hard and, and, you're, and you feel like you're going to pass out. And then the next drill is you have to go float in the Pacific Ocean. I don't know if you've ever swam in the Pacific uh, Jessica and I went to Monterey, California, and, and the kids went to Monterey, California in June. In the month of June, the temperature of the water was 56 degrees. That's, that's the West Coast. That's that Arctic current coming down from Alaska. So they're going out in this cold water, and they're floating in this cold water, and it's freezing them. And his brothers told him, they said, when you're under the boat, all you want to do is be out in the water. And when you're out in the water, you want to be back under the boat. I mean, it is, just, it is just days upon days with no sleep of ongoing torture, ongoing suffer, suffering. What are they doing? They are training their bodies to go as far as the mind will push them. And you need that in the, in the intense combat that Navy SEALs find themselves in. But there's that one thing that ties Navy SEALs together. And it's that they went through that experience. Yes. If you're a Marine... It was the crucible. If it was the Army, they've got their training too. If it's the Air Force, you didn't have to go through any of the stuff the other military. <laughs> I'm kidding. But they have that common background. They have that tie together. Yes. Soldiers suffer for their countries. They're completely devoted to their countries. They don't have distractions. Paul says that no soldier gets entangled in, in, in civilian pursuits which means that the soldier is all about being trained and being ready to go to battle to serve his country. He may have other activities, but not a single one of those activities is going to detract from his ability to do what he's been enlisted to do. Can we say the same thing about our devotion to the gospel? 
We have pursuits in this world. We have businesses. We have jobs. We have careers. We have families. We have hobbies. But do these things distract from the gospel? Do these things affect our devotion and our commitment to the gospel? And if they do, we have a problem. Verses 5 and 6 says, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. More comparisons to enduring, the gospel, to enduring for the gospel. The athlete must train hard and must compete by the rules. He must consistently work on the fundamentals. And I keep thinking about that uh, quote by uh, Vince Lombardi. Gentlemen, this is a football. He keeps going back to the fundamentals. Football players. I don't care whether the, 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 the peewee league practices on this field outside the church on Wednesday nights, okay? What are they learning how to do? They're learning how to block. They're learning how to tackle. They're learning how to pass. They're learning how to catch. They're learning how to kick. Now, you go up the hill to the high school when they're practicing. You know what they're doing? They're learning how to block. They're learning how to tackle. They're learning how to throw. They're learning how to catch. They're learning how to kick. Didn't they learn that back in peewee? You go up to Howard Payne, and you, and you go to their practice field. What are they learning how to do? Block, tackle, pass, catch, kick. Didn't they learn that back in high school? Let's go up to the Dallas Cowboys. No, they don't know what they're doing. The Houston, no, they don't. Okay. We got to go to Arizona and see the Cardinals, okay? What are they doing? They're blocking, tackling, passing, catching, kicking. Professionals. Vince Lombardi, when he said, this is a football, he was talking to a group of professionals, guys who played football their entire lives. Why do they keep working on these things? Because it's the fundamentals where you win the game. You constantly have to work on the fundamentals. Baseball. For, I don't care whether you've got a little kid that's learning how to hit the first time or you're dealing with a 38-year-old veteran for the Texas Rangers. How are they spending much of their days? They're in the batting cages. Swinging that bat at that ball has been thrown to them by a pitching machine. Why do they spend so much time? They've constantly got to work on the fundamentals. Basketball, free throws, jump shots, not fundamentals. They're constantly having to retrain themselves on these things. And they must compete by the rules. Now you may say, oh, see, Leland, this is where you start to get legalistic. No, you have to understand the objective. What's the objective of the game? How do you win this game? What are the tactics that you employ in order to win this game? I like football. I, love, I mean, I, I used to really love it. It used to be really fun. I, don't, I haven't taken much joy in watching it much lately. But the concept of it and the science of it still fascinates me. You know how you win a football game? <laughs> I can hear a high school coach score more points than they do. How do you do that? How do you do that? You gain, an average of, you gain an average of three or four yards per play. That's how you do it. That's how you do it. We'd play Madden NFL with the kids. And, and they, they would throw these, they'd be throwing these deep, long bomb passes, and I just ran up the middle. And I beat them. How do you do that? I said, all you got to do is get three yards of play. Get three to four yards of play. That's all you got to do. Baseball, the Oakland Athletics figured this out. How do you win games? You score runs. How do you score runs? You get on base. It's that simple. Vince Lombardi, this is a football. There's a lot of endurance to, in order to accomplish this. If you ever played football and went through two-a-days, you know what I'm talking about. 
like an athlete, we, I know y'all like Leland, you really enjoyed that talk on sports this morning. I haven't brought it up in a while. It's, th this was nice. <laughs> like an athlete, we must constantly train on the fundamentals. Retrain yourself in the gospel. What is it? What it means to you? Why others need it? And play by the rules. What is the objective? How do you win this game? What are the tactics? What is the objective of life? What is the objective of following the Lord? What is the objective of church? Find out what that objective is and follow it. And this requires a lot of endurance. Verse 7, think over what I say. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. The more you understand the gospel, the more life makes sense to you. And the more life makes sense, the more wisdom and understanding you will have. And remember the blessing God has set before us. Remember Jesus Christ in verse 8, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. Remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Remember the hope you have, that confident expectation of entering into God's kingdom, of being reunited with your loved ones that have passed on before you, of seeing Jesus face to face, of having your faith be made sight. Love that line from that hymn, Lord, haste the day when my faith, when my faith shall be sight. I mean, look forward to that day. You have the confident expectation, and remember why you have that hope. It's because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on to spell it out for us in verses 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we also will live with him. If we endure, he, we will reign also with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, and I love this, if we are faithless, my faith fails, Brother Ron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if my faith fails, and I'm faithless, he remains faithful. Amen. It's a biblical concept. If you suffer with Christ, you'll be glorified with him. If you die with him, you will live with him. If you endure with him, you will reign with him. If we deny him, he denies us. Yes. My question is, can we ever truly deny him? Yes. There are some things in life you just can't deny. Right. If it's real enough to you, you can't deny it. How real is the Lord to you? How strong is your faith? If we are faithless, if we struggle, we fail, he remains faithful. Amen. Which means our success is not up to our performance. That ought to take the pressure off a little bit. That ought to give us strength. That ought to give us boldness. Remember these blessings and be strong. Be strong. Be bold. Be confident in the gospel. Keep reteaching the gospel to yourself. And let that process transform your faith. And as your faith is transformed... The, the natural outgrowth of that will be that you're ready to spread it. Let's stand.